Last week we had a little bit different message and we were kind of doing an in-between the putting off and the putting on and what we talked about really was the old and the new man and the fact that that we are not told to put off the old man. The old man is already gone. The new man is there because of what God the Holy Spirit did in us as followers of Christ by making us alive. And so as we went through that, the, the whole idea here was to kind of eliminate some confusion uh, regarding the past old man, right? It's, it's not accurate that we're putting him off. They don't exist at the same time. And so as we talked about that, there is, however, the practical side of some things that we are to put off and put on. And sometimes we get confused about it because some of those things seem like the old lifestyle. Well, they, they are, but they're not positionally the old man. The scriptures tell us that we are a new creation in Christ. And so that, that term that we use there, that in Christ, that eternal position that God uh, gave to us and that God uh, made for us in Christ is something that, that doesn't change. So our study led us to what we would call sanctification. And just, again, to review, there are two aspects to sanctification. One is positional. We are eternally set apart, that's what that means, in Christ. Sanctification being set apart. But then there's the practical side of that. We are to be set apart in our daily living. It's our responsibility, but the Holy Spirit directly helps each believer to achieve this. And it means that we both set ourselves apart from sin, and we also set apart ourselves for obedience and good works. So there's a, there is a setting apart, there's a, there's a putting away, there's a casting off of, of, of um, sin and, and everything that's related to it. And then there's that putting on the obedience and the good works that, that we are to do. And so that was uh, what we were talking about last week with this idea of renewal. So this brings us to where we are in Colossians, where we are we have put off the flesh. We've put off the, those things that are related to sinfulness. At least we're supposed to be, right? But then it says that we are to put on. And so that's where we are starting today. Putting on takes effort just like putting off. It doesn't just happen. We think about Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So Colossians tells us that we are being renewed in the knowledge of Christ. We liken spiritual growth to the natural, normal growth of any person. We start out as babes, as, as, as babies, in our walk with the Lord, just like we do in life, and we work toward maturity. So that's what this whole sanctification aspect is about. We are positionally in Christ. When he sees us, he actually sees a sinless person because he sees us through the finished work of Jesus. But on the daily basis side of things, we have some things that we need to not only get rid of, but some things that we need to actually establish and do. And we're all in the process of doing that. So what I want to talk about first is our position as the new man. 
Paul is encouraging the Colossian believers to put on certain things based upon three things that indicate their relationship with God. And we read those. These three things are common to all true followers of Christ, yet they are intensely personal in relation to each and every one of us. Now, let me just say that a little bit different way. It applies to all who are in Jesus, but it's very personal to each one of us, right? The first is that we are elect of God. That's what the scriptures tell us there in Colossians 3. Now, it is tempting to launch into an in-depth study of election, but that's not where the context leads us. Uh, That is not Paul's purpose here. could be for another time. But God chose every believer before the foundation of the world by an act of his grace. So we are to pursue renewal because God chose us. That's the motivation there. We are to be renewed. We're to be like Jesus. We're to identify with him. But part of that motivation is God chose us to be in his family. He adopted us. He brought us in to his family, even though, again, like we said earlier, we were enemies of his. That is an amazing act of grace. The scriptures here also tell us that we are holy. God set us apart by the Holy Spirit, making us alive in Christ based upon his atoning work, atonement, paying for our sins, being the replacement for us for what we deserve to pay for but could never do, right? Again, our earlier studies revealed that God was reconciling us to himself was an extremely personal act. This wasn't just something that God did for the world, so to speak. This is a personal relationship that he is establishing. So again, this is where we're referring to being positionally set apart or holy in Christ. We are to pursue renewal because God uniquely set us apart as his children. So not only are we to pursue a, a renewal that we are to change, that we are to put on some things because God chose us, but we're to also do that because he set us aside. He is making us holy. We cannot forget that our holiness is actually the applied righteousness of Jesus. We are justified, we are declared guiltless because Christ paid the price for our sins. So then we are holy, but we set apart ourselves, right, by discarding or putting off our sin, both in thought and deed, as well as putting on righteousness. We do this because God says that we are holy. We are set apart. And then there's the term there, beloved. This one word is simply impossible to define in its true meaning and scope. I think probably all of these terms are impossible to fully define, right? But think about this. We are actively loved by God. How do, we, how do we really wrap our minds around that? And just, just for any one individual here to try to explain what God did for us, right? Then for us to collectively try to explain that, it's just amazing. We don't really know why God loves us or frankly would love us 
based upon who we were before our salvation. Last week, we looked at a number of Bible passages that describe the condition of the person without Christ. We could have looked at many more, right? But none of them were good. (laughs) None of them painted a good picture. It was an accurate picture, but it wasn't good. So God's love is not extended to us because of any works or righteousness on our part. We are loved by God and the continual, are the continual recipients of God's love based upon his grace. So that is where we are positionally. That is what God says is our place in him because of what he has done. So all these words, elect, holy, and beloved, are about our relationship with God. And all three were accomplished by God apart from anything that we can or will do. So based upon these, we are to pursue the renewal of our hearts and our minds. We are to work at becoming like Jesus because of this amazing love that God demonstrated to us. These are to be motivators. Which brings us to this idea of putting off, or or putting, putting on, putting off, is not putting on. We already talked about putting off for several weeks. Um, sexual sins, anger, um, uh, wrath, lying, other things like that. We're to put those things off. But putting off is not the same thing as putting on. And I think it's important for us to understand that moving forward. At times, people can blend these two very distinct things together. If I'm not doing one thing, then I'm good, right? An absence of one, putting something off, doesn't necessarily equal the presence of another, of automatically doing the right thing. It's not as simple as light and darkness or life and death. It's easy to understand that they can't exist at the same time, right? If there is a light on in a room... It's not dark anymore. If someone is breathing, they're alive. Okay? I mean, there's some really easy things that we can understand with that. So would it be nice if right living automatically happened as we eliminate the wrong ways of living? It would be nice, wouldn't it? If I can just stop doing this, then I'm good. The other stuff just automatically takes place. But the absence of wrath, for example, doesn't make a person patient. If we stop being greedy, we aren't automatically generous. If we take our focus off the earthy, which is what we were told to do in the first four verses, putting our focus on eternal things in Christ, that doesn't instantly happen. We're not suddenly Christ-focused simply because we stop looking at earthly things. Now, I want to say something that I fully admit in advance has exceptions. And I will also add that it's my opinion based upon life and observation. Therefore, I don't want you to think that I'm gleaning this from Scripture. I really, when I'm speaking, I try to differentiate the two, but I think it's helpful. I believe that putting on each of these character qualities can be easier for some people and more difficult for others, depending on the quality that we'll be studying. To be more specific, I think 
Some of these are easier or more difficult based upon even our gender or our personality, our upbringing, our life experiences, or any number of factors. But each one of us are responsible to live them out. Whether one is easy or not, whether we just can slide into doing this, oh, this, this is kind of how I'm bent. This is, this is my experience. This is, this is easier for me to do. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that we don't put on these other things. We are to put all of them on. We also need to notice that Paul's main focus is relationships in the church. Now, of course, this should be applied to all of life. But the emphasis is definitely on life in Christ, life in the church. That is the entity and the people that Paul is writing to. Okay, If you remember back to our scripture reading, Later on in the passage, it's very clear that he's talking about how the church is to operate with one another. Now, hey, we can apply this to our families and should, by the way. We can apply this to the workplace and should. The one difference that we have to understand here is this. In the body of Christ, we're all to be doing this. Once we step out into the world, there is no guarantee that the other person is going to be doing it. And frankly, we shouldn't have the expectation that they will. Now, you've heard me say this a number of times. I, I, I think it's a mistake for us to say that we'll just call them worldlings, right? Those who are of the world can't do anything good, can't do anything moral. That, 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 is, that is not true. What God is talking about when it comes to their goodness is it doesn't match up to being allowed to go to heaven. It, it, it's, it's not in their own, in our own righteousness, that we merit anything toward God. It's not, it's not a great chasm, and some people can leap 20 feet, and some people can leap 50 feet, and some people can almost get there, and just maybe, if you're really good, you can almost catch the edge of the cliff and then fall. No, no, we're dead. We don't start out jumping, Right? So we can't have that expectation of other people. All right. So what are we to then put on? I mean, that's where we're at. Again, I, I think that there were some important things that, that uh, Paul added here, that the Lord added in his word, that we are elect, that we are holy, that we are beloved. And based upon those things, right, there's to be a change. There's to be, to be that renewal that we talked about earlier in the passage. And now we come to that. And the first area of renewal is to put on compassion. Now, the old King James says, bowels of mercies. And this is a good case in point where language can change rather significantly. We don't really use that terminology today. But the meaning still holds true. We would say it as something like uh, something that comes from the heart, right? But it could be just as easily said that this is gut-level compassion. We use terms like that. So a more up-to-date phrase is a compassionate heart. Now, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the first phrase there, put on tender mercies. Tender mercies. What we're talking about here, like I say, is a compassionate heart. Paul is telling us to put on compassion for others that has depth, that comes from our very core. Tender mercies or a compassionate heart is 
a mindset where we are concerned for and mindful of others. That's what we're to put on. So it is an emotional longing for the benefit and well-being of someone else. Now, these are fine words, right? They're, they're lovely thoughts. But how do we put on this compassionate heart? It's going to take some time to answer this question and to answer the question related to all of these things that we're to put on because we're going to have to integrate that with some of our other things that we've studied. But let's continue. Heart of compassion, as all things we'll be studying, goes back to renewing our mind. And our mind is renewed by knowing our Creator and His Word. Let's go back to verse 10. It says here, And have put on the new man, that's past tense, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Does that sound familiar? If you were here recently, right? We're being renewed based upon knowing the Savior. We're being renewed based upon observing how he lived, about the character of God. That's where the renewal takes place. So I think a good place to start in our study is to look at the compassion of God. David describes the compassion of God when he confessed his awful acts, uh, his awful acts against Bathsheba and Uriah. Now, folks, I'm not going like, to make this a big deal, but many times we talk about David sinning with Bathsheba. I don't know that Bathsheba had a lot to do with it. The king summoned her from her home. I don't think she was told in advance what was going to happen. Meaning, I do believe that it was against her will. But the bottom line is this. David was the one who was held accountable. David was the one who was punished, along with some other punishments that went with it. David sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against Uriah. But ultimately, David sinned against God. And what does the beginning of Psalm 51 tell us? And I'll just say it, a Psalm of David, this is the introduction, but it's, it's still in there. When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David was coming before God based upon his compassionate heart based upon his tender mercies. And this is, this is the thing that we need to understand. David already knew this. This wasn't, yeah, I got caught. I feel really bad. And you're a compassionate God, right? No. No, this is the God that he knew. This was the God that he deeply offended, but this was the God that he knew. And so he came to the Lord fully knowing that God was a compassionate God. Wow. Isaiah wrote about the judgments against God's people, but he also foretold of God restoring his people. In response to his people saying that God had forsaken and forgotten them, he speaks these words through Isaiah. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? 
Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. What's God saying here? I know you. I have a personal relationship with you. Now, yes, this is talking about the old covenant, but the principle doesn't change. God made a new covenant with us through Jesus, a covenant of grace, a completely one-sided covenant where he did all the work, but it doesn't change God's character. And how much more beautiful of a picture can we see here with, with a mom and her newborn, right? Just having that compassionate heart toward that child, wanting the best for that child and all those other things that we can, we can just pour into that. That's the illustration that God gives him himself for a wayward people. I'm not going to forget you. You know, it is unfortunate, but we do see in our society today and probably fairly recently, we have seen some moms who didn't do this. And I do believe that's why God says, even if they would forget these things, right? I'm not going to. James even wants us to see God's compassionate heart in trials. James 5, verses 10 11. Now, we, we know that James talks about trials earlier in the book, but look what he says. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Tell you what, if you read the beginning of the book of Job, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, this is a compassionate and merciful God? Now notice, God didn't do anything directly to Job, but he allowed all those things to happen. But ultimately, that was for his glory and for Job's refinement, even though he was a man who fully was dedicated to the Lord. But it was a very compassionate and merciful God that allowed that, what we would see, that very holy man that allowed him to go through that. And folks, that should be an encouragement to us. That's what it's designed to be. We also see God's compassion revealed at the birth of John the baptizer. John was to fulfill the prophecy that there would be one who proclaimed the coming Messiah ahead of Messiah's or Jesus' earthly ministry. It's John's birth, or after John's birth, his father Zacharias foretells what John would do. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 67. So again, our subject is the compassion of God. Now his father, John the baptizer's father, Zacharias, starting at verse 67 there of Luke 1, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He foretold, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, 
who have been who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy a promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life and you child will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. In other words, till the day he is, his ministry was made known. So what do we see here? It wasn't God's uh, compassionate heart that gave us John, although that was true, it was God's compassionate heart that gave us Jesus. It was God's compassionate heart that gave us the way of salvation. John was the one who's going to be telling about it. But as his own father, John's father, was, was prophesying, was foretelling what John was going to do, he's proclaiming, really, who Jesus is and what he's going to be doing and the fact that that was God in his compassion. How will God's people receive remission or the taking away of their sins and salvation? Through God's tender mercies. Through his heartfelt compassion. Then Paul pleads with us to grow spiritually. To sanctify ourselves based upon God's compassion. Very familiar verse to us, but Romans 12, 1 and 2 is very important here. I beseech, I beg, I plead you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why was he, or what was he pleading with these believers about? What, what was his source of pleading for them to have a transformed life? It was God's mercies. Well, where do we see God's mercies? In the previous 11 chapters. <laughs> his salvation. All that God provided. That's what we see. His mercies. I want us to also see some examples of compassion in Scripture, just everyday examples of other people. We, we, we've seen the compassion of God, and we've seen that, that it, it is this, these tender mercies in which he forgives, in which he brings people to himself, in which he even takes us through trials, right? That's God's character through all of this. But I want us to look at some examples of compassion of others. A couple of verses here. And Joseph turned himself away from his brothers and wept. And then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now, context. This is when um, uh, Joseph was brought to a place of prominence after some very difficult times. Don't have time to get into all that. But Joseph was now 
uh, second in command of, of all of Egypt. His brothers, his family, they're, they're not doing well. They're, there's a famine. They're starving. So they come down to Egypt. They don't recognize their brother. He probably had a little bit different wardrobe on, a little bit older, probably had one of those cool beards, right? All that Egyptian stuff, right? So they didn't recognize him. They wouldn't have expected him, right? They sold him into slavery. They had no idea where he was. They certainly would have expected him to be second in command in Egypt. So as he's dealing with them, we see him turning himself away, getting, getting by himself and weeping. Later on, he's dealing with his brothers again. And look at what it says. Now his, Joseph's heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went to his chamber and wept there. This is after he, he, he met again his brother Benjamin, who he hadn't seen for years and years. This is his um, most close brother, the other of Rachel's children, right? Joseph and his brother were Rachel's kids. And so they were closest as far as brothers are concerned. And so here he is going off and weeping. Why? Because his heart yearned. That is the same word in the Hebrew for these tender compassions. Now, we've got to think about this for a minute. First of all, based upon what we saw in Genesis 42 in that account and how he reacts to his other brother, we know that the same attitude was expressed in 42, right? His, his, his heart was going out to his brothers. So let's think about this for a minute. His brother sell him into slavery. He goes through um, uh, one man's household, Potiphar's. He's wrongfully accused. He goes into jail. He's there for a fairly long period of time. God gives him the ability to interpret two men's dreams. The one man died, so he didn't forget about him. But the other man who lived, as he said he would, forgot about him. Then he gets summoned. And because of, again, what God gives him the ability to do, uh, basically Pharaoh himself says, because he says, there's going to be feast and there's going to be famine. And when the famine comes, it's going to be really bad. You need to get somebody who's smart enough to prepare for this. And they all look around and say, I like this guy, right? That's how Joseph got his place, right? Very theological. I like this guy, right? So, anyway, so that's why Joseph and how Joseph got to where he is. Think about this. He is second in command in Egypt. He, he is in charge of everything, really. Administratively, he's in charge of everything. And there's his brothers walking up. Hungry, needing him. And we see that sometimes he treated them roughly, but was all to actually orchestrate on the human side of things his family to come from the Holy Land to Egypt. But instead of bitterness, instead of lashing out at them, instead of that slow burn that we talked about before, right? Where it's like, okay, malice. Now's my time, right? I am in the abs. God put me in this position to get my brothers. 
He could have justified that, right? Wrongfully, but he could have justified that in his mind. Instead, what we see is the character of God. His heart yearned for his brothers. He cared about them. He had compassion for them. They all but killed him. And he had compassion on them. The other thing I want us to see is a mother's compassion for her child. This is a famous story of Solomon wisely determining the real mother of an infant that two women claimed as their own. Basically, there was an incident in the middle of the night where one woman had apparently rolled over on her child and smothered her child. So that woman stole another woman's child and said it was hers. Um, Just so we understand completely here, uh, there were no video cameras and there was no DNA testing. Okay? So what was to happen? Solomon had to determine what to do. And what he basically says is, um, the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. And then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill it. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Now, of course, Solomon recognized that it was the first woman who was the child's true mother based upon her response. But let's think about this for a minute. Because again, we're talking about human examples now of this, this compassionate heart that we are to have. Was this woman going to lose something based upon her decision? Absolutely. She was willing to give her child up for her own child's life's sake. She was willing to give everything up because of what? Because of her, what she yearned with compassion, her tender mercies, this this compassion that drove her to literally give her child up if need be so that he could have life. We can't help but see, however, the other side. Where someone who had no regard for another human being said, "Yeah, cut it right down the middle, I don't care. I don't know the background, I'm not trying to make things up here, folks, but it was almost like there was something against that other woman. Right? But this woman was so selfish that it's like, yeah, I lost mine. You're going to lose yours too. <laughs> I don't understand that. But this is what it tells me. Evil lurks everywhere. This, this is a, a mom who lost her child. And look at what she did. Look at what she was willing to have happen. But now let's look back more positively at this mother's compassion. God gave up his son. 
God gave up his child. Right? Now, we understand Jesus was born physically, right? He's always been, but he's still the son. And out of his compassion for us, we've already read it. We've already seen it, black and white. He gave his son for us. It's amazing. Here, this woman was willing to give up everything about herself so that her son could have life. This is the depth of mercy that we are to have for one another, folks. This is the type of compassion that we are to have for one another. It is a huge contrast of what we are to put off. Evil passions set on fulfilling immoral desires, right? That's what we're to be putting off. Or covetousness, the strong desire for stuff and more stuff. These are the things that we are to put off. Now, I know in your notes that it says that we're going to talk about kindness. That's next week. How'd you like that? Stayed right with our notes here. So let's, let's have a little time of conclusion here. Let's make some application. I truly believe that a thorough study will lead to the best outcome. It will help us know, the God, know God himself and his will. However, each and every one of us is responsible to individually apply and actually do what the Lord is instructing us, what he's patterned for us, examples that he's given to us. Our motivation is both the deep compassion that God has shown us by placing us in Christ and the massive number of God's daily compassionate acts he does on our behalf as his adopted children. Okay? So it is both who he is, it is where we are in Christ, and it is what he continually does. I want to give a brief warning. We can't wait until we have all of this learned before we start living it out. Isn't that our temptation sometimes? Uh, you know, once I get this right, then... No. This isn't like the launch of a new product or completing a project or young people waiting until your coloring page is done before you show your mom. That's not what this is like. We cannot delay having a compassionate heart until we're complete. Because having a compassionate heart is part of the process of becoming mature. Every day is an open book test. Every day, every day is a life test. Sanctification is more like exercise or physical activity. So we are specifically talking about compassion. We exercise our compassion at the level we are at in order to increase our ability for more compassion. It's not just, you know, I'll get there sometime. No. We, we, we work at it where we are at. So how do we make application in the church and in daily life? First of all, we need to make an effort to know the Lord and his word. Remember, that's the key to all of this. Knowledge of God. That's how we renew our minds. We also need to keep in mind God's compassion, God's compassionate acts toward us. That should be something that we're actively thinking on. And then also a compassionate heart is others focused. Relationships are essential. 
See God's people as God sees them. Actually take your mind off of yourself and think about other people. Folks, let's be honest. We're selfish by nature. Not all of that is bad. We're to preserve ourselves. We're to keep ourselves clean. We're to keep ourselves fed and so on. But boy, we can overindulge ourselves. And that needs to change to where our focus is outward. First the Lord, then other people. Continue putting off preferences and favoritism. Right? That's one of the things that we talked about that we're supposed to be putting off. Develop stronger relationships. Simply take the time and opportunity to get to know others, to be a part of their lives. And then invest in others. Serve, encourage, pray, counsel. Now, I want to be very careful here. That counsel part is, right, you don't just walk up to somebody, hey, I think you need some counsel, right? That's not, so there's a little more finesse to the counsel part, right? It's called discretion. But then also, a compassionate heart will even change our conversations. A compassionate heart, a heart that's focused on others, will change how we converse with other people. The quality of that will increase. We will grow. All of us, I'm including myself, I have this issue where I'm talking and I'm liking what I'm saying. And I'm thinking that you like what I'm saying just like I like what I'm saying. Right? Because I'm Mr. Interesting. Whereas you're like, what else can I do? <laughs> if he talks about birds one more time, I'm going to pluck him. Right? <laughs> you know, so anyway, my point is this. When we become others-oriented, right, it's going to get easier. We're going to get better at it. We're going to be growing. Don't wait until I'm at this point then. No, no. This putting on is now. And this putting on is active. Because we need it to continue to grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we only need to look. We've looked at a lot of things. But we really only need to look at your tender mercies demonstrated over and over and over again in Scripture, demonstrated over and over again in our own lives to really know what we're to be putting on. But we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for the promise of your Spirit working with us and in us and through us to become renewed, to be more like Jesus to conform to the character of our Creator. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that as we set ourselves apart from sin, that we'll set ourselves apart to a compassionate heart, loving others as you do. And Lord, I pray that that will bring us great blessings and joy. But most importantly, that it brings glory to you and it brings joy and benefit to those around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.